going to start, uh, we're going to keep it loose and we're going to start this baseball round table with three regulars from last year. Let's go around the horn quickly and introduce everyone. We're going to start with a writer with uh, DeepLeagues.com back in the day and one of my favorite baseball minds, Jeff Falbo. Thanks for dropping in on the show. No problem, Mari. Anytime. Next up, we have a uh, blogger and writer who is fantastic, especially with the way that he crafts micro-stories. I can't help but read his stuff. He's a contributor to my website. <laughs> Eric Rosenheck joins us. Eric, thanks for finding the time, sir. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, don't mind me if I'm suddenly silent. I just have to, uh, I'm just washing all my rose-colored glasses. And you have many of them. I've seen them. Yeah, well, I, I have to get them ready for this year. All right, Mr. John Lennon. They all look like John Lennon's spectacles. <laughs> And of course, what roundtable would be complete without the site expert from the Jays Journal? He also apparently plays a little bit of guitar. His name is Chris Henderson. Good evening, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. All right, so let's just jump into this because we are here late night on a Sunday night, still in the midst of spring training, and we've just hit, we've been hit over the head basically with a two-ton heavy thing, and that was the news that uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has an oblique strain. I want to go around the horn, starting with you, Chris. What was your, what was your first reaction to it, and what does this really all mean in the grand scheme of things? The way Vlad came into camp, how how big he was, how how there was a lack of conditioning. What are your thoughts on the whole thing involving Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or probable sign? Uh, I think this is going to be the most overblown, over-discussed topic in the next two, three weeks that we've had in Toronto in a long time. I mean, yeah, there's no doubt the kid's big, but I mean, until he's finally finished growing, I don't think people can really totally freak out. Sure, he's he's probably probably needs to be a little bit, bit more fit in the long term, especially if he wants to play third base. But, but uh, you know, I don't know, at 19 years old, I'm not going to freak out about that kind of stuff as long as he still has the athletic ability he does and, and people stream muscles all the time it, it happens it sucks it's but it's kind of a convenient thing because it kills the whole it kills the whole major league timeline thing i mean he won't be ready until after the service time issues already passed so it should to me it's it's just not as big of a deal as everyone's going to make it out to be i don't know Ari. when you come to camp with a pot belly and you're fat and out of shape and you strain your muscles probably from his light jogging around the field mm. i'm not surprised he's already been injured uh, I think he is spoiled and he is not conditioned. And I think the comments that uh, came from the GM of the Blue Jays are probably directed towards his conditioning as opposed to his ability at the plate. Uh, to be honest, I got a little pissed because I've been working on a Vladdy article for the last few days. And it was all set to go. And then the guy uh, strains his oblique and now i got to work that into the damn article. So... That uh, that was uh, that was irritating me. I, honestly, I, I had a bad flashback to uh, June of 2012 when Brandon Morrow was was pitching phenomenally for the Blue Jays, and then in the first inning of a game against Washington, he had an oblique strain. And you know, in a season of 2012 when there were so many injuries to the Blue Jays, that was perhaps the most devastating one. And uh, quite frankly, I mean, with the exception of uh, 2017 with, with the Dodgers, Brandon hasn't been the same since. Uh, but Listen, he's a 19-year-old kid. He's probably putting on the freshman 30 or whatever, and and I, I, I'm uncomfortable with the hype, and I'm really uncomfortable with people sort of throwing out comments about his weight and this and that. And, and I just, you know, at least he would do, he didn't sneeze and cause the oblique strain. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> well, I don't think he would have been surprised if something like that would have happened with this team because in the last few years, 
or you can even probably track them back all the way to the J.P. Ricciardi era. Freak injuries are just a natural part of what what the Blue Jays are all about, and Glenn Allen Hill will be the first one to tell you about that. I, you ju- you just took the words right out of my mouth, Ari. But you know what took the words out of <laughs> my mouth? Bad dreams of spiders. <laughs> I, I don't think it's unfair for someone to criticize Vladimir, Vladimir Guerrero's weight in this day and age of social media scrutiny. My question is, whose responsibility was it during the offseason to ensure that instead of eating whatever he decided to go on his diet with, whatever it was, I mean, he clearly was out of shape. From the moment he stepped out into that spring training facility, you didn't have to be someone reaching for a narrative to see that this kid came to play professional baseball in the worst possible condition. I mean, there were reports that he was 50 pounds overweight. Whose responsibility? Shouldn't his family or maybe the Blue Jays? Should they have chaperoned him over the offseason? How does a player of that caliber show up at spring training looking like that? And by the way, four years, how long has he been affiliated with the Blue Jays? Four or five years since they signed him? Why has there not been an effort to work with him and improve his English language. And I'm not saying that because I need to create a narrative. I'm simply stating the obvious. The kid looks like he's got very little interest in the way that he's perceived in this market. How do you, who wants to jump in? How do you feel about that? Well, I, uh, I'll step in, but I mean, it just goes to show you, you know, when a kid is so hyped and you see it more in basketball, you know, or football where he's hyped and everyone tells him you're the best, you're the greatest. And, you know, it's fed into his mind and I, I just comes across as he's a little spoiled and he's got God's gift already. It's just, you know, it, it just comes across that, you know, you got to show up in shape. You, you, like just, it's the Blue Jays responsibility to go down there and say, Hey, listen, you, you got to train, you got to be in shape. But I have a feeling the the Blue Jays are, are a little hands off on this one because they're like, well, he's the number one prospect. You know, we're already rocking the boat by not calling them up. Let's not rock the boat a little bit further. So I think the responsibility is on both sides. I mean, this kid has probably been fed his whole life saying, hey, you're the greatest. Just do what it is, whatever you're doing. Just keep hitting the ball. And the Blue Jays are like, hey, we're not complaining. But, uh, you know, as long as he keeps hitting the ball, you know, we're going to be hands off too. See, this is pretty much exactly what I meant when I'm when I'm talking about I really think that we're overanalyzing the whole thing. I mean, it's funny to me to, to, you know, respectfully to hear you use a term like potbelly and stuff. And I mean, I look at the photos of the kid and, and sure he's huge, but to me, he looks more like a brick shit house than he does to somebody who's overweight and out of shape. Mm. I mean, uh, yeah, he's probably, he could certainly use some conditioning and, but I think that's what spring training is about. And so, you know, he certainly could have come into shape in a, and he could have come into camp in a better shape, but, Quite frankly, if I'm that guy and I'm saying, oh, and, does, and I'm walking into camp and going, it doesn't matter if I hit 900, I'm still not making the team. Mm, yeah. I think, you know, that might factor into, well, okay, I could have been 10 pounds lighter or I could have been toned up or whatever, but I'll start trying when they start giving a crap about whether or not I'm, I'm a part of the team. And so I'm not making an excuse for any professional athlete being out of shape, but I just don't think he's anywhere near as out of shape as, as it sounds like you guys do, or as it sounds like a lot of other people do. Some guys are just built like that. And uh, it wouldn't have mattered if Prince Fielder had eaten nothing but salad all day. He would have been a massive guy. And that's the way Vladimir Gray was going to be too. And honestly, yeah, his dad lean. Like his dad is tall. He was lean. I mean, yeah, but he's, he's not—he's not his dad, Jeff. I mean, that's the—that's the reality. My dad is a skinny little man, and I'm twice the size he ever was. And, that's true. And, 
Prince Fielder looked like Cecil Fielder. So, I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, regardless. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I just, there, honestly, I don't know what the, co- I just, I just don't know what the conversations were. I don't know what's going on. I'm not an expert. I'm not a kinesiologist. Uh, you know, all I think about is this is a young kid. He's a young kid. He, you know, at 19, I thought I knew everything. And clearly that wasn't the case. Uh, it's just going to take some time. We have to let things organically play out. And this is why I'm, I get nervous about the hype because everyone's going to expect this kid to be hitting the ground running and want that instant gratification and you just got to let things develop let him let him get conditioned let's let's let things go i just i don't know why it's just it's just the whole instant gratification which drives me up the wall which you as you as you know i i i'm always about you know i'm not a fan of just let things work themselves let's work it out let's give it time let's let things breathe and and I just, my big fear is I just don't want to see people on Twitter just calling this kid fat and this and that. Uh, Doug Fox had a great tweet from, uh, he used to do clutchings, it's now future Blue Jays. And he's like, okay, people are going to be commenting on his weight and this and that. And their only exercise is getting up from the uh, couch to get a beer from the fridge. And then he posted a great tweet from uh, Sid Sixero, which proved his theory. So I just think we just... You know what? It's just a process that we just have to let things work out and, and, you know, just hope it does work out. Well, and the scrutiny of the player himself from social media, I agree with you and, and especially with Chris, is just folly. It's it's a waste of time, really, in, in the, at the end of the day because the scrutiny is something that is to be expected when you're when you're hyped up as much as this player is. He's just not any ordinary player who came to training camp. This is the 80-hit rating coveted generational player and so naturally it's to be expected that people might take exception to everything from you know his weight to his inability to speak English to the way that his relationship is being constructed with the Blue Jays and vice versa I think I think what we should probably do is understand that that's never going to be an optimal situation especially with the loophole in the CBA and now that it's a fait accompli I don't I don't think it's going to go away I think it'll still be something that's going to be talked about later but it shouldn't cloud the real narrative of what's been a surprising spring training for a lot of the prospects that maybe were forgotten. Like one of the things that I'm enjoying watching and reading about is the renaissance of Beau Bichette, whom, as all three of you know, last year struggled mightily at times and looked like he was not nearly the you know top three organizational prospect that he was being touted. Has that changed, Chris, starting with you? How do you feel about Bobichet these days? Because he's starting to look like someone who could really surprise and end up making this club uh, before you know it. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how, A, he responds to playing in AAA in Buffalo, like he spent all last year in, in AA for anyone who's not familiar. And it'll sort of be interesting to see how he responds to the next level. And it'll be really interesting to see if the Blue Jays decide to bring him up this year, whether you know, regardless of how he performs. I could see this being kind of a similar case of where last year, I don't think there was doubt in pretty much anyone's mind that Vladimir Grow Jr. could have hit at the big league level in 2018. And I have a feeling that Bo Bichette's going to push the issue this year. You know, we heard Ross Atkins t- uh, mention earlier in the offseason that he wanted to see Bichette force his hand, but with the amount of uh, middle infield depth, um, I have nothing but faith that Bichette's going to push for a spot, you know, probably by the All-Star break. But it'll be – I'm just curious to see whether or not the Blue Jays will allow it to happen. I have to admit it's nice to see a different philosophy in that type of a player. Um, actually, I was just reading an article how, you know, he is more interested in batting average than he is in power. 
And let's face it, nowadays in Major League Baseball, everyone is looking for power. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll have 30, 40 home runs and 200 strikeouts, but hey, <laughs> I hit the ball over the fence, whereas Bichette, uh, he changes his swing with two strikes. He doesn't have that high leg kick anymore. But, uh, you know, it's nice to see he's reminding me more of uh, Altuve as opposed to, you know, someone that's just trying to smash the ball out of the park. And it's nice to see. It's a different philosophy. Uh, Hitting 300 uh, seems more and more rare in baseball than it used to. Well, he certainly comes from a really great pedigree, uh, given his father. Um, And, you know, I definitely feel that he does have some really good insights, especially with that leg kick that, that Jeff mentioned. Um, you know, with two strikes, he's not going to be doing it. He's going to be taking a different approach. And uh, it is refreshing to see someone say, you know, I want to put the ball in play as opposed to I want to knock it, you know, 600 feet and round the bases and, and uh, you know, celebrate that way. And quite frankly, if he's in Buffalo for the entire year, I'm okay with that. I think there's nothing wrong with that. If a player gets a little more seasoning, a little more practice, uh, yeah, it could be, yeah, he could be ready. Um, you know, there is an argument that could be made, but you know, nothing wrong with him getting a little more practice in, and and you know, when the time's right, he'll come. I agree with you there, Eric. My uh, my my, I you know, I don't mind if he spends the entire season in AAA and starts you know on a similar timeline to what Vlad's going to do do this year. I just hope that we just don't see a repeat of of excuses holding down a talented player who clearly is better than what's at the major league level. And I realize that tw- the 2019 season isn't going to be about competing for a playoff spot, and then you know, it ultimately. It's about a bigger picture than that. I just, uh, I've been kind of sick of this narrative and, and I don't want to see the Blue Jays go down that path again if it can be avoided. Well, it's a crowded infield again on the Jays. So I, I will, I, I do not expect to see him coming up to the Jays roster unless there's massive, massive injuries. I would agree with that. Um, you know, maybe if Travis stays unhealthy and then maybe, you know, let's say Glavis, uh, excuse me, Freddie Galvis, uh, performs well and they flip in the trade you know around july and august maybe but yeah I, I would i would be surprised if he if he puts on a blue jays uniform this season well and as all three of you mentioned there are options there are aspects of controllability and and maturity that are still expected you don't want to rush a boba if you can take your time and get a player that comes anywhere near altuve caliber you know just a, a decent even if he turns out to be like a, an aaron hill type player there are worse things in life um, what you would like him to turn into is your, your next Tony Fernandez, somebody that can defensively contribute and offensively be a smart hitter for a change. And one guy during spring training that we know doesn't have the luxury of going back to spring training, because if he doesn't do it this year, he's pretty much, I think, done with the organization, is Anthony Alford. Eric, can we agree that this is the one guy that Blue Jays fans above all else should be pulling for to make the team? Well, you know what, Ari? I was uh, watching the spring training game on Saturday. It was so nice that Sportsnet actually broadcasted a spring training game, but you know, that's a whole other issue. And I saw him hit that beautiful dinger over the, over the uh, I think it was the center field wall at, at uh, Spectrum Field, and I just, I was drooling. I was absolutely drooling. I'm totally captivated by what Alfred's doing, and uh, I love the fact that he is pushing the, the envelope, and I love the fact that he is, he is making a case. He doesn't want to be in Buffalo. Uh, he wants to be on that starting roster. And, and quite frankly, I, I would like it if, if he could make that roster. Um, you know, right now, if, without him, it would be Glitchick and, and, and Pilar and Teoscar and, and uh, McKinney out in left field. And, you know, if he can make it there, that makes one of those outfielders, I won't say who, a little bit more expendable. And, 
you know, perhaps there's an outfitter in that on that current roster that can, you know, get a little more work on his defense down in the minors. So I'm all for him. I'm all for him making that roster. Alfred. Yeah. Well, Alfred, uh, we've been saying for years. I remember the year that he was drafted was actually when I was uh, part of Deep Leagues, and so we were looking at all the prospects. And I said, man, oh, man. This guy is a five-tool player, and even today he's a five-tool player. The problem is he's not putting all five tools together in the same game. So <laughs> one game you'll get two of the five, the other game you'll get three of the, of the other five. Like he just hasn't had enough opportunity. And, and, you know, due to his own injuries and his own faults, like he just needs enough playing time. But man, oh man, I mean, that guy has blazing speed. He's a good defender. He can hit the ball with pop. I mean, he just needs repetition, and I guess he just needs a chance to play and to stay healthy. Yeah, I think uh, I think Eric kind of alluded to what needs to happen. You know, it's, it, there's another case where Alfred, it probably it might not matter how well he plays in the spring. And actually, you know, earlier today, uh, I published an article that was asking, you know, or that I was kind of asking the question, how, how much does spring performance matter? Because for the Blue Jays right now, they they need to have playing time and roster spots for Randall Grichuk and Kevin Pillar and Teoscar Hernandez. But I think the solution that we all, you know, we all know and it was talked about lots this winter is, is uh, you know, if Anthony Alfred is ready to play at the big league level and he's ready to be, to make this kind of impact, then it's probably time to move on from Kevin Pillar. And maybe that, maybe it's too late this off season. Maybe there's injuries to another team um, that opens up that opportunity. But uh, you're right. I think it's either Pilar has to, sh- to shuffle out of the way or, or maybe it's Hernandez to spend some more time in, in Buffalo. But that feels like unlikely with the way he's performing this spring as well. So my guess is Alfred will start the year in Buffalo, but I'm hoping that uh, they find a way to keep him keep him around because he's playing up pretty unreal right now. I mean, Pilar is a fan favorite. Everyone would hate to see him go. But I think we've seen the last few years what Pilar is and um, – I think we can upgrade at center field. Yeah, it is. It is time to move on. And, and believe me, I love I love Pilar. Uh, he's sort of a fellow tribesman, and and you know he's made that highlight reel many many times. But uh, you know what? The the process is to get younger. And Alfred, I believe, is 24, and I think Pilar is turning 30 this year. So yeah, it's uh, it seems like a foregone conclusion if if all the cards are lined up properly. Kevin Pillar has a very cool tribe, but I prefer hanging out with a tribe that can get on base, you know, more often than a 290 on base percentage. I mean, the years of us justifying Kevin Pillar's tepid offensive contributions with his defense are over, sadly, right? I mean, we've seen the numbers. He is an above, still an above average, I think, outfielder, but I don't think he's anywhere near the elite anymore. And I think this is the year where if he ever could prove his salt, and maybe recapture, you know, those few months before the incident from a couple of years ago. I think there's a chance that he could be a great veteran leader. But what, you know, we talked about giving Anthony Alford an opportunity. What better year than this, right? To give Anthony Alford 250 at-bats, throw him out there, and just see if the privilege of being in the show might give him all the motivation he needs. And four of us all together here know that it's a privilege to be a professional baseball player. And one of the things we've learned is that some baseball players don't respect that privilege. And they end up becoming players like Trevor Bauer or, you know, Bud, uh, Bud Norris when you, when you think about it. Because 
they they end up kind of doing what they want marching to the beat of their own drum jeff at what point do you look into the past of a player that you've acquired and make it an issue because as we know you know norris has a history that isn't necessarily one that's clear but at the same token one that's always being interpreted differently and people want to give him a chance is that going to be an issue for him this year in toronto especially if he ends up performing will people simply forget about that I'm more concerned that, you know, you have that veteran presence in the locker room and, and see what you want. I mean, I'm, I don't live in the locker room, so I don't know. But he's going to be surrounded with young players. And, and you just, I, I'm I'm just not sure whether, you know, he'll be a good influence on uh, other players. And, uh, hey, again, not everyone is, the you know, built to groom other players. But, uh you know, if he performs, then, you know, as a fan, I, I, I'm i pleased. But, uh, you know, I am a little concerned about him in the locker room. Yeah, that would make two of us. Uh, you, you know, I, I tend to defend Shapiro and Atkins uh, on, on Twitter a lot just because I, I, you know, I'm just not into the whole bashing them. But uh, this one was a bit of a head-scratcher. Um, you know, for years and years, the Blue Jays always talked about, you know, clubhouse culture and, and last year, they, they shipped Roberto Osuna out, and rightly so, and yet they're bringing in another gentleman. Of course, different situations, but still, uh, it was a little bit of a head-scratcher. Um, and, you know, if, if he still has this kind of behavior, I do worry about how it will affect the, uh, the younger players as well. But, you know, as Jeff said, you know, if he performs well, then, you know, then, you know the Jays could use that to their advantage. Um, you know, if you have these the veteran players and... You know, it's like Curtis Grandison last year. You know, he had some value, and they brought him in, had a little value, good impact in the clubhouse, and then was able to turn him into some younger talent through trade. So we'll just have to see what happens there. Yeah, and to me, yeah, I, I understand where, where you guys are coming from on that. And, you know, nobody likes to hear some of the reports that have come out about him as far as, like, you know, using the word bully or whatever. But... I'm willing to bet that the front office made uh, did their due diligence on this one, and you know, and the nice part is is that he signed a minor league contract. So worst case scenario, he comes in, and if, if he starts acting like a jerk, it's really easy to get rid of him. Yeah. The other thing too, like the last couple of years, I'll, I'll give Ross Atkins this. He's he's put together year after year, sometimes at the last minute, but he usually puts together a pretty good bullpen, and. Um, this year, I'm scratching my head a little bit more, and I'm looking at that bullpen, and, and I get it. You want to give some guys chances, but like the last couple of years, he's put some solid bullpens together, and I think this year, with the questionable starting pitching, this was a year that they really needed to get some quality relief pitching, because I, I think they're going to be using their relief pitching a lot more than uh, than most clubs. So are you ruling out the prospect of a pleasant surprise with, say, Stroman and Sanchez getting off to decent starts. I mean, one of the things about this team that people will drool over is some of their up-and-coming young talent if they really know the game of baseball. Because I don't think you can deny that Danny Jansen and Louis Gurriel Jr. and Bo Bichette and Ryan Borucki, those are legitimately good reasons to come out and watch baseball. I'll concede that. And some people would think I'm crazy because the sample sizes are so small. But I think we, we all agreed that what we saw in September, and even, you know, in the minors especially, that there's a lot potentially that could work for the team. But starting pitching, really, 
I don't know if we can be sold on that. I mean, have they really turned the corner? Marcus ended up being the Marcus of old, that you know, with his usual melodrama and uh, controversies in spring training. And Aaron's been quiet, and there have been reports that he's ready to go. But, Chris, let me start with you. How confident are you in the renaissance of what could determine whether or not this might actually be a year worth enjoying if those two get their game on? You know, I hate to say it because I'm I'm internally a glass half full guy with most things in life, but and I, you know, and I would still say that way. I would still say that way with, with Stroman. You know, last year he had a he definitely had a rough year, and you can debate all all you want whether or not he should shut up. And, and sometimes I wish he would would quiet down a little bit, but but he is. Uh, I still think he's talented enough to be like a number two starter. You know, I don't think he's a. A Cy Young candidate, but I still think he's got a, got uh, you know near the top of the rotation potential. But I've more or less lost faith in in Sanchez's ability to stay healthy, and and that's just because I've gotten so excited about him for years and been repeatedly let down with just these injuries to his hand. Like my, you know, if I was to lay some money down on uh, Sanchez now, I, I I have a feeling that in a couple of years' time he goes the way of Brandon Morrow and becomes a high end high end reliever at some point and. Hey, you know, and, and I'm hoping that I'm wrong. I really am. Like, I, you know, if Sanchez can be the guy that we saw in 2016 and and Stroman can be the guy we saw in 2017, Shoemaker can stay healthy, Buckles can pitch like he did last year, and Brocky can pitch like he did last year. Well, that's a pretty damn good rotation. But that's also, uh, you know, that's a lot of ifs, too. You know, I wrote about Sanchez on, on, on my blog, definitely not Jay's talking. And this year, I just, I badly want Aaron Sanchez to get his groove back. I mean, he was so, so phenomenal in 2016. And then just for him to just fall off the map in 2017 and 2018 with these, these you know, freak injuries with the blister and, and the suitcase. Um, you know, it seems like he's, he's trying. Uh, he, you know, I don't know if you saw the article. He's, he's uh, you know, watching video of, of his, uh, of his, um, of his uh, throwing sessions, analyzing each move, analyzing each frame. Uh, I, I'd love to see him get it back because it would just be it, it would be an absolute robbery uh, from you know a story standpoint if if he can't get back to that 2016 form. So that's definitely something I would love to see. Uh, you know, Marcus is Marcus, and um, you know if if he can get back to that 2017 level, that'd be great. And uh, you know, I, I'm I'm looking forward to Ryan Barucki mainly because I was a huge Mark Burley fan and and someone who kind of models after. Uh, Mark Burley, like Ryan Barucki does, is is uh, gets a thumbs up in my book. Uh, see, I wrote an article about the Jays starting pitching, and um, I actually, even if Sanchez pitches very well, I mean, what kind of innings count is he going to be on? What kind of pitch count? The guy hasn't pitched in the last two years on a regular basis. So even if he is pitching at the best of his ability this season, I mean, what are we going to get? 150 innings max out of him? You know, they're, they're not going to let him do six, seven, eight innings long. Um, I mean, just the durability of his arm throughout the year um, because he hasn't pitched the last two seasons. And I mean, even if he does start pitching well, then you're going to hear Mr. Uh, Boris trip up saying money, money, money. And I don't think the Jays are willing to go in that, uh, in that space yet with uh, Sanchez. Um, as far as Stroman, I agree with Chris. I mean, Stroman is, uh, you know, a solid number two pitcher. Um, I think last year he proved more that he was a number three pitcher. But uh, definitely, he, you know, you need guys that can pitch. And, and Stroman is still a valuable guy on the Jays. He just needs to stay healthy. 
and needs to pitch um, this season. If him or Sanchez or both go down at any point, I think the Jays are in big, big trouble uh, because guys like Matt Shoemaker, you're already looking uh, at questionable uh, durability. You know, uh, Richard, you know, <laughs> he's at the end of his career. Um, you know, and Baraki, you don't want... You don't want to feed these rookies, uh, you know, to the Yankees and the Bostons of the world because I'm telling you, confidence is a big thing with pitcher. And you throw rookies in at Yankee Stadium and uh, these big hitters come to plate and uh, they'll just destroy these guys even before their careers even start. So it sounds to me like nothing's really changed. It's the same question marks from previous years, only now with the hopes that a little bit of luck goes the Jays' way because, quite frankly, last year, anything that could go wrong did. And it was a Murphy's Law kind of season, just like the season before it. Eric, at what point do you look at these Toronto Blue Jays and say that they are a 100% solidified Mark Shapiro team and we can stop looking to the past to see reasons why certain players aren't doing well because, not surprisingly, a lot of these players are still Anthopolis players. Think about who we've spoken about tonight. We've talked about Pilar and Stroman and Sanchez. There are still some remnants. At what point do you see this team officially becoming 100% the Shapiro-Atkins regime and then maybe we can start evaluating them completely based on the merits of how they're running this ball club rather than, as you so eloquently pointed out, simply slagging them with criticism? Honestly, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, probably when when all those Anthopolis players are no longer with the team, maybe. I it mean, it's this year. it could happen. This it year, could right? be this. It could. And you know, what? honestly, I feel like, I mean, we could talk about the Anthopolis teams, but you know, when you look at 2015 and 2016, that was still a little bit Richardi as well, because you know, Richardi brought in Batista, Richardi brought in Encarnacion as. Well, I mean, it's it's not sort of like a the thing I find with with sort of the general managers that have that have worked for this team. It's things kind of just blend in together. So I, I don't know if there's a certain stop and start point. Um, I think you know if if the young players or the players that were drafted under uh, Shapiro and, and Atkins come up and and uh, you know. Which is, you know, it's going to be, it's going to take some time. It could take a few years, and heck, even maybe after they're gone, we won't see the effects till till after. But you know, what I, I, I time's going to tell, and I, I hate just throwing out a simple cliche like that, but that's that's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> I've got two parts to my answer for this question, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the first part, um, to me, I, I think it's already starting this year. I mean, yes, there are still some remnants of those old teams with Pilar and Smoke and, and Strom and Sanchez, a few guys. But, you know, we saw the front office jettison Russell Martin and get essentially nothing in return. And part of that was out of respect for the player and for creating playing time for Danny, for Danny Jansen. We saw the same thing happen to Troy Tulowitzki. And so if they were really, to me, that was like, a, let's wipe the slate clean and get anybody out of here that doesn't have any any direct value or direct use and, and that's not quite the case for martin i mean he still could have been valuable but but uh so to me it's kind of started now i mean if he really if really wanted to to swipe the slate slate clean in and start uh without stroman for example then i think he would have done that he could have gotten a few decent prospects from uh, some of the reported offers that were out there um 
But the other part of it is, I mean, if people want to start attaching, just directly attach players to general managers, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was signed by Alex Anthopoulos. So as long as the, like in his front office regime, so as long as Vlad Guerrero's in the system, then there's going to be a link to Anthopoulos. And, and I don't think the Blue Jays are going to let him go any time sooner than at least seven years from now. So, I think, I think the second that uh, Stroman, Sanchez, and or Pilar uh, show any signs of positivity, uh, they will be traded this season. I mean, last season, if you look at the trade deadline, those players, <laughs> they were playing like garbage. Uh, I mean, there, there's no hiding it. Um, they would have loved to have moved them at the trade deadline, but why sell low? So I think the second that uh, their assets become high, it would be a perfect time to trade them. And I think, although there's not high-end pitching talent in the J system yet, uh, it's coming, uh, but there is depth, um, at least to fill the holes in September, uh, if you do decide to go to the route of trading uh, either Sanchez or Stroman at the trade deadline. And I think they should, because that's when they'd get maximum value. And they can probably turn it around to a minor league pitcher that is closer to major league ready than what the Jays currently have in their system. And, you know, as much as I love Marcus, uh, you know, and I have to admit, I I do eat up all the HDMH stuff and all the posts and Instagram of his dog and whatever. I I eat that stuff up. That's just me. And I, I, you know, and and I'm so captivated by Sanchez, but I've made peace that Trading them would be a good thing. Um, you know, if they are going to perform well, if by chance they do perform well, it's going to be coming during rebuilding years. So it doesn't really doesn't really work in the Jays' favor. So if they could flip them for some younger talents, you know, I, as much as I'd hate to see them go for their characters and, and sort of what they brought to the team, I'd be I'd be definitely out for it. In fact, my hope this season is, you know, if, if you know other players like you know Justin Smoke, you know, if he can continue to do what he's been doing, I. There's absolutely no reason to keep them after July 31st. I, I think, uh, again, I, I, I'd love for the Jays to keep Stroman over Sanchez. I think the second Sanchez becomes healthy and can show any signs of durability, trade him. Because, as I mentioned earlier, God bless Scott Boris, but the second, I mean the second Sanchez is healthy... He is going to be asking for the moon, and I don't think the Jays are going to be wanting to go to that area. I mean, you can say what you want about Scott Boris, but the fact that Sanchez signed with uh, Scott Boris doesn't mean he's going to be giving the Jays a hometown discount. I think he's going to free agency in 2021. So if you can flip him for some assets now, do it. Um, Strowman, yeah, I'd like to see him as a Blue Jay. Yeah, probably someone has to... You know, we criticize players when they don't show emotion and they give us the same old answer all the time. And now there's the flip side. You know, here's a guy that puts his heart on his arm every night and on his sleeve, and we're criticizing him there too. So, I mean, I like a guy that shows emotion out there. At least it shows that he cares. But, I mean, it's got to be tough going to the mound every night and you turn around and look at your infield and it's a triple-A infield. And you say, my God, what the heck am I doing here? So he might want out of Toronto, so... I don't know. It's a uh, it's a toss up. Yeah, but he still tattooed the city on his body. <laughs> hey, he Who's coined the phrase the he he coined the phrase the six. So I'll I'll give him that much. Well, I don't know. I think Drake might have uh, have the copyright on that one. <laughs> but you don't let him do it without. Yeah, and and pretty you guys 
covered most of the points. And the one thing that the one I, you know, I agree with you. I agree with you, Jeff, that, um, that Scott Boris is going to be looking, looking to maximize any kind of value he can get out of Sanchez. And that's another reason why the idea of extending him long-term scares me. Just not only the injury history, but just that Boris is going to command top dollar. But the one thing I will say about Stroman long-term, I mean, if they can get a great trade return, I wouldn't be opposed to it either. I've made my piece with the two, but uh, you got to like that. The guy likes being in Toronto and, and as much as we hate to admit it, sometimes that's a harder sell than, than we care to admit. You know, it's uh, being the only team in, in Toronto or being the only teams rather in Canada. Um, you know, for some guys that have never spent any time in Canada, that the idea is not even something they would consider as free agents. So uh, when you get a talented guy who actively openly admits that he wants to come back all the time, I think you at least have to explore it, depending as long as the ask is uh, reasonable and the performance is there to justify it. Well, if you can go ahead and trade him and get a Kawhi Leonard-type player in return, uh, why not? <laughs> sure. It's a lot of intrigue. A lot of intrigue about what's going to happen. And I want to wrap up this roundtable with my last question related to what happens when, let's say, this year, as you mentioned, uh, Chris, you take the last trappings of the Anthopolis era outside of Lad, so you trade Kevin Pillar and Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez, and then you're basically left with Justin Smoke that you could possibly also trade, considering his contract situation. So you might be left with Kendrus Morales and and what is basically a minor league team. Are you concerned that because we're in an era where teams have decided we're just not competing and doing this kind of like ground up rebuild? Doesn't that hurt the game when two-thirds of the league are in that mindset where, you know what, rather than spend money, let's just develop all this young talent and expect people to spend top dollar for what is basically a glorified minor league product? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I, I've i always liked the idea. You know, I think there's a lot of value in having veteran guys around. And, and even if it just lets the fan base know that you're wanting to put a competitive product to watch on on. TV, but I think the difference is this year, this time around, at least in my memory of the Blue Jays and any sort of rebuild or any sort of the thing they tried to sell to us is, I think there's a lot better young talents, you know, this time around, whether this Danny Jansen, Lourdes Gurriel, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, there's enough guys that if, you know, it, when the notion of having a minor league lineup, I'm not as worried about it. I feel like our minor league lineup in 2019 will be better than our big league lineup in 2018. <laughs> Go figure, too true. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, when two-thirds of the league are rebuilding um, on a free agent class year that they've been talking about for years, I think it's disgusting because any franchise could have turned their team around this year. You had franchise-type players. You had iconic players in Harper and Machado and the fact that the Jays are selling us a rebuild in that year is just, I don't know, it's disgusting. I, I think it's like terrible for the league. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is. And it's not just the Blue Jays. It's a lot of teams around the league. And it's again, it's not like this year didn't sneak up on anyone. They've been talking about it for years. And you could have said, you know what, we're going to build our farm system and we're going to build it up. And we're going to fill the holes with free agent players, not just any free agent players, like the best of the best in some of their positions. And whether you like or hate Harper, the man, the guy sells, the guy is selling out. He has a number one selling jersey. The Jays would have gotten that back. Now, whether he would have come to Toronto or not, 
That I don't know, but I'm telling you, you throw money at some of these players and they would have come. And the fact that the Jays were sitting on their hands doing nothing along with two-thirds of the rest of the league, I think it's disgusting for baseball. And it's, you know what, I think the fans are going to revolt this year and they're not going to go to games. There's going to be games in January, uh, sorry, in July, where you're going to have 10, 12,000 people at best. You know what? I'm dreading December 1st, 2021, because that's when the current CBA uh, is going to expire. And I don't know how the rest of you guys feel, but I see some very dark, dark, ominous clouds coming in terms of the negotiations. Uh, the players are pissed, and quite frankly, they have every right to be pissed. Uh, I, there's, I, I, geez, oh, whatever, what the hell. There's some collusion going on, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, it's going to lead to a very, very ugly labor, uh, labor negotiation and could lead to, um, you know, unfortunately uh, a work stoppage be that a strike or a lockout. And it's a shame we have to talk about it, especially this season, because this will mark 25 years since the very ugly 1994 work stoppage. Um, but just getting back to the Blue Jays, um, in terms of sort of what we're going to see, uh, you know, worst case scenario, okay, they lose white, like, 90 games, 100 games, but my kind of hope, my, my blue sky hope for the 2019 Bridges is that they kind of look like the 2010 team or the 2011 team, and I don't know if you guys remember those teams, but for me personally, that was the most, one of the most, that was literally the most fun I had uh, for a non-playoff Jays team that, that, I, that ever there was. Uh, look, those 2010, 2011 teams, they weren't, they weren't playoff contenders, but there was still a reason to check them out. You had Jose Batista, who sort of out of nowhere went from utility player to, to just this, this perennial all-star. And you had all these fun young guys that interacted with the fans on Twitter. You had Travis Snyder and JPA and, and Ricky Romero. And obviously their careers didn't really take off, but still there was a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, positivity, even though things weren't looking so good. And my hope is that you know, even though this team is, is definitely not a playoff contender, at least we could sort of turn on the TV and say, hey, I, I can't wait to see what, what uh, Danny Jansen might do tonight. Or, you know, hey, you know, Rod's finally here. Let's let's see how that's going to turn out. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, I'm having difficulty watching these Jays starters getting out of the fifth inning. And uh, unfortunately, I think the games are going to be over before they even start. Like, I'm looking at a 100-loss season. I mean, I don't know what you guys are thinking, but I I cannot project this but team really, uh, to do any better. Scheme of things, right? I mean, whether it's 100 losses, 90 losses, 110 losses, the year's basically been written off as a non-compete year. So why should we care about how many losses they'll get if they'll justify it in the name of developing talent? Unless they don't develop the talent properly. Because that's another issue. It's optics, are. I mean, it's optics for the Blue Jays. I'm sorry, but when the Toronto Maple Leafs are, go out and sign uh, John Tavares, the yeah. best available free agent player, when the Toronto Raptors go out and trade a fan favorite to get one of the top five players in the league to make sure that they're going to have a deep playoff run, and all you're hearing is crickets out of the Rogers Center because they're just doing nothing. I, I mean... I'm sorry, but the fans are going to shift their attention in Toronto. And a lot of fans, uh, they're going to lose them from 2015. And not just in Toronto, right across Canada. Chris, I think you need the last word of this uh, roundtable. 
Oh, you know what, Ari, you know, I talked about this off air and, you know, as much as I agree with uh, a lot of things I've been saying, I don't think Bryce Harper, Manny Machado or Dallas Kimbrell or Dallas Kimbrell, Dallas, you know, Kimbrell or Kuchel or who any of the premium free agents, I don't think anybody was coming to Toronto this year. I think as much as as much as Ross Atkins and company didn't do a whole lot this offseason, I actually had no problem with the, the moves they made right now. You know, the thing that Art and I have talked about uh, off air and stuff at times is that the mistakes were made a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, with the way that they handled Josh Donaldson, the way that they handled, you know, various other free agents and didn't maximize their value or they didn't extend them or whatever the case may have been. So to me, I actually think the front office had a good offseason considering what they entered working with. And yes, it would have been nice to see them pursue some of those better players, but I don't think any of them were signing up to join what's going on here in this rebuild right now. Maybe if you threw 13 years, 13 years and 400 million at Harper, maybe. But I mean, I, I've never been in favor of that kind of contract for one guy anyway. So I think it's just a case of where we're at uh, with the Blue Jays right now in the rebuild. And uh, I'm personally looking forward to the to to watching the young guys develop. I think there's enough guys there that uh, if Vlad's healthy and and Gurriel and Jansen and Brucky, you know, I, I'll be tuning in. But I'm a hardcore. And I'm, maybe I'm a sucker for punishment. I don't know. Well, I, I think it's only fitting that someone who has as pleasant a voice as Chris Henderson could guide us through to what is a very even keel ending to an up and down round table emotionally. It's obvious that this is going to be a year of complete and utter intrigue, and we won't know what to expect. But one thing's for sure, it'll make things interesting, and I'm sure we'll all have a chance to talk about it in the days to come. I want to thank my guests on the baseball round table here, Jeff Falvo. Chris Henderson and Aaron Wilsonhead. Gentlemen, thanks for finding the time to join me. No problem, Mike. Had a blast. Pleasure, gentlemen.